Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. Uh, by the way, Dave, thanks for leading that song. Um, remember the title of that song. Remember the, the message of that song as we move on this morning. It's, it's going to keep coming up. I know that everybody that's here this morning made an effort to be here. Some of you, it was harder than others. Some of you worked hard to be here, and I want you to know I'm glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Uh, you've encouraged us from by being here. I also want to remind you that next Sunday is Mother's Day. Your mother wants you to come back here next Sunday. So I'll see you next Sunday. Be nice to your mom this week. Uh, your father wants you to come back too, by the way. I want to begin this morning with a little bit of a uh, history lesson. Uh, I'm a big fan of history. I, I like history. I especially like American history. And I particularly like history around the Civil War time. Did you know that Abraham Lincoln's coffin was pried open twice after he was buried? Two times uh, his coffin was opened. The first occasion was 1887, 22 years after Lincoln was assassinated. You know why? Because of a rumor. There was a rumor that circulated through the whole nation that the coffin was empty. So a select group of witnesses was on hand when they opened up uh, Abraham Lincoln's coffin and they confirmed that he actually was in the coffin. And then 14 years later, in 1901, after several attempts had been made to steal the body of Abraham Lincoln and hold it for ransom, his son Robert Todd Lincoln decided that a permanent crypt needed to be made for his father. And the final resting place was a huge cage buried 10 feet into the ground, covered in three tons of cement, a huge rock on top of that. But before Lincoln's body was laid into its final resting place, people felt the need to open the casket again. And really for the same reason. Rumors. Rumor that the body inside didn't belong to President Lincoln. And then another new rumor kind of swept the country, and that was that there was nobody inside, and that the whole thing was a conspiracy that Abraham Lincoln didn't actually die that night in a, in a room across the street from Ford's Theater. And so against the family's wishes, 23 people witnessed that casket being opened a second time, and all 23 witnesses stated unequivocally that that was President Lincoln in the casket. Even almost 30 years after his death, he was embalmed so well that he was completely recognizable. body was then permanently laid to rest in Springfield, Illinois, where it is visited by about a million people a year. Now you hear that and you think, well, one of the most famous men in American history. You know, that's not right. That is such an invasion of privacy. That never should have happened. And, and you'd be right. But the reality is, there's something really powerful about rumors. Rumors have a way of getting traction and spreading quickly and having a lot of power, holding a lot of sway. Jesus knew a thing or two about rumors. He knew how quickly they could spread. He knew how ridiculous they could be. He knew how powerful they were and how easy it was for people to buy into rumors. So in Matthew 13, he's having a conversation with his disciples, and he asked the disciples, what's the rumors about me? What's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? 
And the disciples tell Jesus, there's all kind of rumors about you. I mean, there are people who are saying that you're John the Baptist. There are people who are saying that you're Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. There's no end to what people are saying about you, Jesus. By the way, some of those crazy ideas are actually rooted in biblical misunderstanding. But of course, Jesus is really getting to his next question. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And the disciples, of course, knew, and it was Peter who verbalized it. We say you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Regardless of what the other rumors might be, regardless of what everybody else is saying, we believe, we know that you are God's Son. Come here to earth to live among us. You're the Christ, the Messiah. We are in this sermon series, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? And for the purposes of this series, we're not talking about the rumors that might exist swirling around Jesus. And there are still rumors, by the way. I had a conversation with a woman not too long ago who said, um, she found out I'm a preacher, she said, um, Jesus was married, right? And I said, no, Jesus was never married. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was married and he had a child and the Catholic Church tried to cover it up. I saw it in a movie. <laughs> I said, well, you might have seen it in a movie. You might have read it in a book. In fact, I read the same book. But you won't read it in the Bible. Oh, Jesus was never married. That's a rumor that somehow has gained traction. But for the purposes of our series, we're not looking at what people say about Jesus. We're not looking at what the scribes and the Pharisees had to say about Jesus. You know, those religious experts, because they were mistaken as well. And really for this series, we're not focusing on what the disciples had to say about Jesus. We're focusing on what Jesus himself had to say about himself. I mean, if we're going to talk about the real Jesus, we ought to listen to the real Jesus. Jesus knew himself better than anyone. He knew his plan. He knew his purpose. He knew his agenda. He knew his mission. And the neat thing is, he chose to share all that with us. He chose to explain himself to us. In fact, everything we know about Jesus, we know because God wanted us to know it. So with different names and different images and different concepts, Jesus tells us who he is and what he's about. He said, I am the bread of life. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He said, I am the true vine. We talked about that last week. And then in John chapter 10, Jesus is going to tell us, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. And that's the I am that we're going to be focused on this morning. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 10. We're going to jump in with um, verse 1. John 10, 1. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus is using an analogy for the, the people that are listening to him here. And this is one time when Jesus probably should have started by saying, listen, I'm about to use an analogy, okay? 
I'm about to say something and you're going to have to pay really close attention to catch it. Because when I talk about sheep, I'm not really talking about the animals. And when I talk about shepherds, I'm not talking about the guy that you know on the next hillside that has a flock. I'm, I'm making some biblical connotations here. So, so pay close attention. Now maybe Jesus should have started that way. Because when he tells these people what he just told them, they didn't get it. Look at the next verse. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. They didn't understand. What, what did he just say? Did, did you guys catch what he just said? Because I missed it. You know, do you think Thomas got it? You know, I doubt it. I don't, I don't know. They didn't get it. Has that ever happened to you? You ever have a conversation with somebody and you're listening to them and you think that they think you know what they're saying, but you don't know what they're talking about. So you try to act like you know what, you're ta- what they're talking about, right? And you nod your head and I'm with you. I have no idea what you're saying. Is it, is that, that happens to me all the time, by the way. No one else. Guy goes into a bank and he walks up to the teller and said, um, would you do me a favor? I, uh, I'd like you to check my balance. She said, sure, and she leaned over the counter and shoved him as hard as she could. <laughs> they're communicating, but they're not communicating, are they? Words are being passed, but they're not getting the same meaning there. That's what's going on here with Jesus. You said something, but, but I'm not sure what you're talking about. He used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Okay, you didn't catch that. I got it. Let me explain it to you. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. Interesting, when Jesus explains this the second time, he's using the exact same analogy. He's still talking about sheep and shepherds. And maybe that's where we should land today. Maybe we should talk about that. I don't think, I might be mistaken, I don't think there's any professional sheep herders in here this morning. I don't think any of us are professional shepherds. I'm sure I'll find out if I'm wrong about that. But maybe we should talk about that. Because I'm sure this would make a lot more sense to us if we really understood the shepherding life the way they understood the shepherding life. But whether we understand those nuances or not, we can understand when Jesus said, I'm the gate for the sheep. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus calls himself the gate. This morning I want to talk about that for a little bit, and it's not going to be too much of a surprise that I've got three points to talk about the gate. And here's a surprise. They all start with the same letter. So we think about what is Jesus trying to teach us when he says, I am the gate. Well, first, the gate provides separation. A gate separates the outside from the inside. Jesus says there's only one way to come and go, and that's through the gate. Now, anyone who comes and goes a different way, don't fool yourself. They're thieves 
and they're robbers. There's only one way to come and go. The end of verse 9 says he'll come in and go out and find pasture. The imagery here is when the gate is in place, the sheep are, are safe. The gate provides separation. The gate provides security, another S. Separates the secure from the insecure. The gate separates the protected from the unprotected. In a spiritual sense, the gate separates those who are living in darkness and those who are living in light. You remember John says later on in 1 John chapter 1, this is the message we've heard and seen and declared to you. God is light. In Him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie. We do not walk by truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from all sin. It is impossible to be in darkness and light at the same time. There's got to be a separation. Jesus says, as the gate, I'm that separation. From insecurity to security. From fear to hope. From darkness to light. The gate provides separation for the sheep. And the gate also provides sanctification. Now, I struggled with this one. I spent a lot of time thinking about this second point because that's not a great word. I mean, it is a great word. It's a powerful word, but it's not a word we use very often. It's not a word that we relate to. But it does start with an S. And it is really powerful. You know, it's kind of like one of those, uh, one of those Bible words like propitiation. You only hear sanctification when you're sitting in church. And then usually someone has to explain it to you, exactly what it means. I heard about a little girl who brought her mother breakfast in bed one day, and she comes in with a tray with a, a bowl of uh, cereal and a piece of toast and a cup of coffee. She said, Mom, I made the coffee just like you like it. It's sanctified. <laughs> well, as Christians, we're not sanctified, but we are sanctified. It's a Bible word, but it's a really important word. What's it mean? Well, the Bible dictionary defines sanctification as making holy what was unholy. To be set apart by God, for God, and to God. To make holy what used to be not holy. And you see the concept, and you see, you see that phrase uh, all the way through the Bible. Look all the way back in the book of Exodus, chapter 31, Jesus is talking to Moses. And he's talking about how he wants his people to, to observe the Sabbath day. And God will tell Moses, um, it's a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. God told Moses, I am going to sanctify you. Newer translations translate that same verse by saying, I am the God who makes you holy. The gate that Jesus calls himself in John 10 is a really unique gate. Unique because it's the only way to be holy. It's the only way to God. Jesus is saying anyone else who tries to enter another way, don't trust them. You've got to go through the gate. Now people will tell you today, there's all kind of paths. There's all kind of doors. There's all kind of gates. Pick your own. You know, we'll all meet going up the same mountain. It doesn't really matter. You'll never hear that from Jesus. Jesus says, I am the gate. 
Now, later on, we're going to talk about the phrase that Jesus says when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. A couple of weeks, we'll talk about that statement as well. But Jesus makes here a very exclusive claim to be the way to God. Others who claim to, to have access to God and to, to, to uh, grant access to God, they're thieves and they're robbers. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 7, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide's the gate and broad's the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Small is the gate, but narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus is that special gate, and only those who know him will be sanctified, set apart, made holy. Well, he's the gate of separation, he's the gate of sanctification, and I saved the best for last. He's the gate of salvation. Look at verse 7 again. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. It's a pretty bold statement. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He'll come in and go out and find pasture. And then we quote verse 10 quite a bit. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. The gate provides salvation. You can't go around the gate. You can't bypass the gate. You can't bypass Jesus. You can't go to God in any other, get to God in, in any other way. You've got to go through Jesus. Remember that song we used to sing to our kids when they were little? I don't know if Angie still sings it or not. Building up the temple of the Lord. Not too much. Well, good, this will be new. So high you can't get over it. So low you can't get under it. So wide you can't get around it. No one else knows that song? Yeah, very good. Thank you, Kimmy. You must go through the door. Thank you. See? you got to go through the door. We used to sing it with our little kids. It's what Jesus is saying. There's no other way. you got to go through the gate. And Jesus says over and over again in this section of Scripture, I am the gate. Let me throw some familiar Scripture at you. Familiar, but it's really important scripture as we think about this idea of Jesus being the gate. Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised her from the dead, you'll be saved. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John just healed a man that was crippled and they're explaining their actions to the Pharisees. Salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. You know, we kind of keep coming back to that. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus said, I'm the gate. I'm the one. I am the Holy One. The gate of separation. The gate of sanctification. The gate of salvation. 
Let me close with one last story. On a Sunday morning, a, an old cowboy walked into a, a very fancy church. He'd never been there before. Uh, he was clean, but his clothes were kind of reflective of his lifestyle. He, he had on a pair of uh, pretty worn blue jeans. He had a denim shirt on that was torn in some different places. His boots were scuffed up. He carried a sweaty old hat in one hand and a worn-out Bible in the other. And as he walked into this beautiful church building, probably the nicest building he's ever been in, he sees people who are dressed the opposite of him. I mean, they are just dressed to the nines with, you know, the suit and the tie and the dress and all the accessories. And nobody speaks. Nobody welcomes him. Nobody smiles his way. He comes and sits down and people sort of, you know, give him a wide berth. And it's sort of obvious that he's not very welcome there. When the service is over, the preacher actually runs him down in the parking lot and says, excuse me, sir, before you come back here next week, if you come back, I want you to have a conversation with God. Would you do that for me? The old cowboy says, well, I, I guess. What kind of conversation? I want you to ask God what he thinks appropriate attire, appropriate attire would be for you to come worship in this church. The old cowboy says, oh, okay, I guess. He comes back the next Sunday dressed exactly the same. The, the preacher actually meets him at the door this time. He said, excuse me, sir, I, th I thought we had an understanding here. I thought you agreed that you would go to God and you would ask God what the appropriate attire would be for you to be inside this church building. <coughs> Cowboy said, I did talk to God and I did ask him that. And the preacher said, well, what did God tell you? The cowboy said, God said, I have no idea what you should wear in that building. I've never been in that church building. <laughs> now, before you laugh too much, careful. <laughs> no, that was a group of people who were trying to show that guy the door. My prayer is that our focus and our passion and our mission is to show people the gate that rather than try to show people the way out, we're focused on showing people the way in. And there's only one way in, and that's Jesus. Now, why do you talk so much about Jesus? You're focused on Jesus because He's the gate. Because it's all about Jesus. Because if we miss Jesus, we miss everything else. We've got to get Jesus. You've heard me say this before. You know, I remember a time in my life when people would ask me, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? And I would very confidently say, yes, I am. I am saved. I'm going to heaven. How do you know? Well, I know that I'm going to heaven because I... And then I would list the things that I had done to ensure the fact that I was going to heaven. But what a seismic shift when I arrived at the point where I started saying, yeah, I am going to heaven. Because... Jesus, and then start listing the things that Jesus has done. Jesus is that gate that separates. Jesus is that gate that, that sanctifies. I'm holy, not because I'm such a good guy. I'm holy because Jesus is holy. Because I have been made holy. And that's where my salvation lies. It's in Jesus. It's nothing that I have done. It's certainly nothing that I deserve. Yes, I've, I've tried to be obedient to what God has, has asked me to do, but it still comes down to grace. And it still comes down to Jesus. I am the gate. 
I am the way. If, if you're thinking about any other path, any other entry, you're listening to thieves and robbers. Jesus is the gate. That's who the real Jesus is. We've got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement this morning. As always, as a, as a church family, if we can help you in any struggle that you might be going through, maybe you just want to share a praise report with the church family. That's always, uh, good news is always good news. If we can help you in any way, there'll be some people here at the front of the auditorium. Let's stand and sing. 